Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckard. It's Tuesday night. The Blazers just won another game against the Denver Nuggets. We It's late, but we're excited. I'm excited. I'm assuming you're excited, Dave. Yeah, they didn't go two and two since we last talked. And in fact, no. I, I bet that they wouldn't go two and two uh, because they had three games. But they won all three. So I mean, <laughs> all this is, three. This is a first for the season that we're able to talk about nothing but victories. I would like this to be the new norm. If uh, someone can take note of that and let the Blazers know. The Blazers um, already it, got a norm, though. I mean, you want a new one already? Gia, we just you know? got you one. We paid $90 million for that norm. We already got you. And now... I would like I would like for this to be our, our typical podcast, talking about just wins. So if someone could please notify the Blazers of my request um, to just win from now on, I would highly appreciate it. What do you want? Do you get? That's that's the lesson. <laughs> that's never been my life, but it would be nice if 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 we could do that. Um, so we've got the Bulls, the 76ers, and the Nuggets, and we beat them all. Now, granted, they were all home games, and as we've discussed, we are doing well at home, much more than on the road. And it was it was kind of interesting because. This week I posted on Twitter and I just, I just put it out there and I said, what's it going to take for you to start thinking that this team is a contender is that this team is competing for a championship. And almost all of the answers had to do with when they start winning consistently on the road. So I think we're all just kind of sitting here waiting for that to happen. While remaining 90% team at home. Sure. I mean, that's always the thing. Like, okay, so you go out and you go 500 on the road, but did you stay 9-1 and one at home? And the asterisk, of course, not to, I won't be Debbie Downer, these are good wins. The Blazers, you have to play the games you get, and you beat them. But 76ers come in, oh, wow, Joel Embiid, one of the best centers in the, no, nope, nope. You're, uh, <laughs> you don't have to play him. Oh, no. Well, the Nuggets are coming in with Nikola Jokic, one of the best centers, if not the best center in the... Uh, nope, he's not playing either. Uh, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. is not playing. And Jamal Murray is not playing. And they lost somebody else in the first quarter. So, you know, the, the Nuggets were down four of their top eight. But, again, it's better to win that than to lose it. And... The Blazers have lost games against opponents like that. So, yeah, uh, well sure. done uh, with both wins. The win that really I thought that was really kind of fun and exciting was the one versus the Bulls, though, because they were full strength. They were playing their game. I mean, Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan had a good game. Ironically, C.J. McCollum did not, and Damian Lillard, even though he scored, didn't score very highly, or very efficiently, I should say. And the Blazers were bailed out by their bigs which was a little bit of a different story. So I really liked the Bulls win. I yeah. thought that was great. The Sixers and the Nuggets, you better beat them, and um, the Blazers did. Yeah, but I think that's a good testament, though, to where we're at, hopefully, where we continue to be with with the team. Like you said, that 
you know, when when Dame and CJ weren't having as good of a game as as we would like from them, that we had other guys that were able to bail them out. It's not that's not always the case. That's you know, there have been a lot of times where if Dame and CJ are not playing the way that we're used to them playing, that's it. We lose. And so I think the fact that Dame and CJ didn't have as high of a night and we had other guys who were able to and take over the scoring and, and do, you know, what we needed them to do. That's, that's a big deal. That's a good place to be. So let's specify that on that Bulls game, Damian Lillard shot six of 18. He had 10 assists, but shot only 33% from the floor, scored 22 points. Thanks to mostly seven of seven free throws. CJ McCollum had a disastrous night, four of 14, one of five from the arc for nine points. Very un-CJ like. He also had five assists though, but the assists were a matter of everybody else converting. Yusuf Nurkic was eight to 13, eight for 13 for 18 points. Norman Powell, who's technically is a guard, but went six of 11, 18 points. Larry Nance Jr. went six of nine, 16 points. So you got three players of 16 or above, not named Dame or CJ. And then Robert Covington also had 10. So that was the big game where finally this idea that the Blazers would be balanced and that their bigs would touch the ball and take more shots. I mean, Nurkic took one less shot than CJ did and only five less than Dame or fewer. So I mean, that was that was huge. But that's one of the rare games where that's happened. The rest of the games uh, surrounding that have been Dame and CJ reclaiming their spot as, well, you know what, if we're going to be 500, uh, we might as well take this over because that's our hope of getting better. And uh, so far, it's worked. Yeah, that Bulls game was fun. That's a team the the Bulls right now are maybe my second favorite team next to the Blazers to watch. I, I really, really like watching them this season. They're a fun team and, and you know, they're doing better than I think people really expected them to do. So that was a good win, especially like you said, at full strength and, and seeing the the whole team contributing. That's what we need. We need that team to contribute. The whole Nurkic, Larry Nance Jr. thing has been interesting. You know, Larry Nance Jr., when when we acquired him, I was iffy about what that was going to do. Um, and then I quickly came around to the fact that, you know, this was a good acquisition. He would contribute, but still wasn't, you know, the big move that we all were kind of hoping for. But it's turned out to be a pretty big move, actually. He's been huge for us, in my opinion. And, you know, you almost watch that and think with Nurk's expiring contract, what does the future look like? I don't know, Diaz. Somebody said that was a pretty decent move, as I recall. But, you know, everybody's anticipating that Larry Nance Jr. will play power forward. But he actually played center a lot for the Cavaliers. So what you're saying is not impossible. And it looks like Chauncey Billups has started to move that way. Nance Jr. is playing center especially late in game. He's getting crunch time minutes, uh, in some cases, instead of Nurkic. Uh, so he kind of starts, his first shift is kind of as a four, but then he ends up being the five. And, you know, it's not conclusive yet. I mean, you know why he's being played that way. is energetic defense and, you know, quick on the floor. Uh, but here's what's interesting. If you look at Nurkic, his top eight minutes games, six of those came in the single digits. The Blazers have played 17 games now. So six of those came in single digits. And his, his bottom games, uh, as far as minutes played, are pretty much all in the last five. So he's playing fewer minutes right now than he has all season. 
And it's exactly inverted, pretty much, for Larry Nance Jr. His low-minute games tend to be single digits. And his high-minute played games are basically all in the last five. So there's a definite shift going on. It's subtle, but it's there. And I expect it to continue because I think Nance Jr. is playing his way into that spot. I think the team has become comfortable with him. And I hate to say it, but more players play better, more consistently around Larry Nance Jr. right now than do around Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the same conversation we continue to have is is what is Nurk's place on this team and what happens at the deadline when we're still, at, you know, facing the repeaters tax and Nurk and CJ are really our two big options as far as contracts. What what happens here? You know, what do we do here? And I just keep thinking, you know, like it or not, what it's looking like more and more is that they're going to do something with Nurk. And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to know. And, and I think, you know, there are little things here and there that you watch and you watch the way he responds to certain things and you watch how he gets kind of hot and cold and, and you just have to wonder where, where we're going here. Well, it's not just a repeater tax. It's what are you going to do with him? Are you going to resign him for 18 million a year? I think the answer to that is going to be no. So if the answer is no, what are you doing with him? It would be different if the Blazers are where the Warriors or the Suns are right now, if you're looking like you're having an elite season. But if the Blazers are either hovering around 500 or, you know, they look like they might have a chance to win 50, but not much more, how do you keep Nurkic in that situation? How do you let him go for nothing if you can trade him? And I think, obviously, I don't think they're going to try to go into the tax, but if they saw a deal that actually got them a player that they coveted for the future, there are other moves they can also make to kind of adjust that around. And so, yeah, I believe that Nurkic and Covington are both playing with huge asterisks by their name right now. And Larry Nance Jr. could frankly replace either of them. So I would judge the chances of both of them staying in in the Blazers uniform to the end of the year as kind of small that, that both will be here. I think one or the other will probably go. Okay, so Dave, if, if it's up to you, which one? Trade which one both. is staying and which one's going? Trade them both unless you're elite. If you can bundle them and make a move that will get you a good player who's going to be here for four years, do that. Now, obviously, you want that player to be in the front court because guess what? You have too many guards. But yeah, you know, if you can consolidate them into one front court player that's not as good as both of them put together but is better than either of them you absolutely do that because again nance slides into the gap but also you're going to have zero at the end of the year probably so that one player who's better than either of them is light years ahead of where you would be if you tried to keep keep them both because both of them together are better than the trade value you're getting back. The only thing that changes that equation, again, is if the Blazers really become elite and the distance between right. them and elite, as we've talked about before, is enormous. Yeah, unfortunately. Although I will say every win we get and every time I see them play a little more defense and every time I see you know, then do their thing. I start to think, Hey, Hey, maybe this is it. And I don't, I know, I know, I know it's wishful thinking. I know, I know, but there's that part of my brain that just wants to ride that wave. I just want, I just want to believe it. I want to look at the team and, and I'll tell you as much 
as much as I just want to win for the sake of winning, I also want to win for all the people who are like, we can't win with this lineup. There's a part of me that just wants to be like, well, we can though. I, I don't know. I just. Who really uh, thinks we can't win with this lineup though? Everybody knows we can win with this lineup. You can't win enough can't with this lineup is the problem. Win a championship with this Wait, lineup. Yeah. I mean that. Yeah. No. I want to think we can. I want to. I, I know it's, I know Keep it's, wanting. I know I know, but it's just, it's so... I want a rain barrel full of those candy corn pumpkins, too, but I'm not going to get it. Ew, really? Oh, those candy corn pumpkins are good because they're always soft. Like, the problem with candy corn, with regular candy corn, is it's totally hard, and it, like, breaks your teeth. Like saltwater taffy, similar thing. But those candy corn pumpkins, or soft saltwater taffy, are delicious because they're chewy, and they're good, and you eat three before you go running, and you feel the sugar, and you're going like, yay... I mean, I do like them. I just, uh, just kind of, I'm past Halloween and moving on to Christmas. So, yes, well, <laughs> I'm not thinking about pumpkins. <laughs> I'm not big on Thanksgiving food, though. I mean, I like leftover turkey sandwiches. Those are great. I hate, I hate Thanksgiving. I would skip it altogether, given the the, the choice. Me too. I'm not a Thanksgiving fan. Wow, common stuff in common twinsies. Yeah, I mean, fin- finally, we agree on something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what makes the podcast go. We can't agree on things. But yeah, I mean, it's like it's everything like the gravy getting all over everything and whatever. I mean, I'll eat it. It's good because it reminds me of when I was a kid. And that was fun when I was a kid to see, to have a, a holiday. Yeah, as far as holidays go, Thanksgiving kind of does bite, like the rituals and stuff. I, I just don't care much. I don't, I don't like the food. There's no presents. I'm not, it's football, I'm not, not basketball. Yeah, all that. I stuff. like, I do like football, but yeah, if it was basketball, I'd like it more. My our tradition. I don't know how we got off of basketball into this. We can go back, but no, no, no. our our tradition, our like holiday in my family is Black Friday. My mom and I do the the Black Friday thing, and although I I joke with her that now that we're both a little older, we mostly go out to people watch and eat snacks. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's safer too. Wear your mask. But uh, so, yeah, I mean, I do a little except Black Friday started a week early. Black Friday had like a pre-season this year. Well, that's the thing is, is now like with online shopping the way it is and with stores opening up on Thanksgiving night and all that, like we've maintained our tradition of getting up early at like five o'clock in the morning on Friday and going. But literally, like the majority of our shopping is done not on like we'll shop a little bit but for the most part we just sit around and like we'll go to the mall and we'll go to the food court and get cinnabon Mm -hmm. (laughs) we we go for the snacks we don't go for the shopping anymore it used to be fred meyer for socks that was the big thing that's awesome anyway basketball um I don't know how we got onto that. That's okay. How did we get onto What were we talking about? I don't know. I did it, I think. You know what? I'm going to do this Thanksgiving. As far, is this our first set of holidays? My first set of holiday in separate families. And right. my ex has family in town, so it's really more fun and appropriate that the kids go there for Thanksgiving than sit home with dad. But we didn't really decorate for Halloween because of the same thing. My kids were going to be gone. I wasn't going to like put all the work in because we usually decorate the lawn with lights and blow-ups and all kinds of stuff. But... My daughter said, that's fine for Halloween, but for Christmas, I want to go all out. So I'm going to spend all Thanksgiving out in the yard, like putting up like everything, like from dawn to dusk. And hopefully when she comes back, she'll see the whole lawn lit up and know that her dad loves her. So that's my Thanksgiving and it will be cool. That's that's a great plan. My kids decided they wanted lights on the outside of the house today and or not today, this this year for Christmas. 
um, that was always something that their dad did. And he chose not to do it, I guess, with them last year. And so they were like, well, can we do it at your house? And I was like, I mean, I'll try, but I've never hung a light on a house before. So here's hoping that I can uh, figure that out and not die in the process of falling off a ladder. <laughs> yeah, be careful of those ladders. Uh, also, you need like hooks or something like that. Otherwise, it's easier to do the trees. Just wrap it, yeah. around, wrap it around trees and bushes. And it's yeah, it's it's. It's my, luckily my kids are little enough that I could literally just throw a bunch of lights on the grass and they ooh and awe over it. So yeah. <laughs> they don't have high expectations. LED cow pies. That's what those are. That's great. Just <laughs> throw them on the ground, plug them in. So, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so, but thanks, you know, Thanksgiving will be great uh, because the Blazers will have at least a 500 record. Yeah, I mean, we're in a good spot right now for for the start we got off to. When we started this season, I really was not sure how this was going to go. But it does look like they're starting to get a little more into a groove. They're starting to kind of figure things out. And we talked about that being a possibility, that maybe some of the struggle we were seeing at the beginning of the season was really just them you know, adjusting to a new way of doing things, a new coaching staff. Some of that had to be playing a part. So I'm hoping that that was the case and we're seeing some of that kind of working itself out now. Maybe, yep. And they're adjusting to playing teams without any other players, any of their star players, which is great, you know. Well, and then you get to have the Kings tomorrow. Oh, the Kings are, I mean, Luke Walton's gone. That's overdue. Right. But man, they're, they, Blazers got to be careful because that's, that's like the ghost of Christmas future right there. Like, you know, the Bob Marley should be pointing that direction uh, to, to the Portland front office and going, don't do that. If you don't change something, there you go. So watch the Kings and hopefully beat them, but watch them with dread uh, and hope you don't end up there. The Sacramento Kings are always an interesting one. And we always kind of have this thing of, you know, we've talked about this before, of playing to the level of whatever team we're playing. And so when we play a really good team, sometimes they'll just come out and like shock everybody and play really well. And then when we play a team that, that we should beat, we don't. But it seems like we've been doing better about that. It seems like we've been getting the wins that we should be getting. Not on the road, Dave, though. <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, Not Houston, the Houston, they beat Houston. If you lose to Houston, well, though, you have to you have to rage quit your season. Like if you if you lose to Houston, you have to go. Oh, unplug this, and I'm going to do something else. I will say though that Dame seems to be back to his Dame self. You know, tonight he played really well. CJ had a great game as well. Thirty two points, I think CJ scored, and mm -hmm. Dame had like what twenty nine, twenty five, I think. But twenty five, okay, yeah. But you know, he was he was hitting deep shots again. He was playing. This is more of the Dame that we're used to. So that gives me hope that he's back to kind of getting into. You know, we saw that a little bit in the last game, and he got the Western Conference Player of the Week last week. So we're seeing him kind of come back into you know what we're used to, and that's that's a positive too. That's huge. It feels like he kind of made an adjustment that, okay, at the beginning of the season, it was system first, Dame second. And I think he alluded to some of that. First of all, we talked about that through the early weeks ad nauseum, but he alluded to some of that in the interview he gave the other day, and I forget with whom, but where he said, I'm kind of thinking when I come down the floor and thinking what play to make and how to fit in. And it's not natural because we're playing in a different way, which was respect to the new system. He was showing validation right. and respect in his participation. But at the same time, he has made a switch, it seems like. Instead of system first and where does Dame fit in, it's he's going, okay, no, it needs to be a little bit Dame first and then system around Dame. And I think that's 
wise. And I think that's a necessary move to make. I mean, Dame can defer, and he should be a leader in that way. But this is the NBA, and the coach does not really have the final say. Your transcendent, all-world, all-franchise player is always the player you protect and follow. So I think that Dame assuming that back again and going, hey, you know what? The occasional 30-footer is okay. And if they miss, you know what? I'm going to, you know, take another one and that's going to go in. And that's part of what makes Dame Dame and uh, and you like to see it. And it shouldn't change. That The Blazers have no system that will make them win without Damian Lillard playing excellently. There is there is no system in the universe that will make this team win no. without Dame at full power. When you have a player like Dame, you want to let him do Dame things. So if if you have a player that can make those deep threes, you let him take those deep threes and, and you let that be part of your system. So I'm glad to see him taking those and, and I'm glad to see them working that in because that's the kind of thing that there aren't a lot of players who do that as well as he does. So let him do it. I, I think that's one of those things that you don't fight against. You know, he used to joke about Stotts kind of pushing back a little on it and, and getting to the point where he was just like, well, whatever, just take the shot. And Dane would take the shot and, and he'd make it. And, and you know, that kept, he kept pushing it back and pushing it back to the point where people were expecting him to take half court shots. So I, I think when you have a Damian Lillard who can do those kinds of things, you let him do those kinds of things when, you know, when it fits and when he feels like he can do it. So I am glad to see that. I'm glad to see Dame figuring out a way to work in what he does with this new way of doing things. Right. And your superstar thinking or second guessing is in self in itself an indictment. You can't, you can't have yeah. that. I mean, right. you, you want LeBron, you want LeBron thinking about what he's doing? or second-guessing himself, that there's 0% chance. And Damian Lillard is Portland's LeBron, so... Speaking of LeBron, we had a uh, a little bit of a, a LeBron... Yeah, I mean, and this it's interesting because, you know, I never want anybody to get hurt. LeBron-y but I do kind of... I, I like seeing, you know, the fight. Not the fight. I like seeing people... I, I'm not going to be, I, I, I did, I wasn't mad about this. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um, LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart got into it in, in Detroit. It was quite a kerfuffle, as you said. <laughs> um, LeBron essentially looks like it looked like he took a cheap shot during a play and uh, Isaiah Stewart came at him. Um, and there was a whole thing on, on the court. LeBron got suspended for one game and Isaiah Stewart got suspended for two. It was a, it was something. It was something. Yeah. Pretty light penalties given the amount of attention that was given to it. But I don't know. People have been dissecting this like it's the Kennedy assassination though. It's like (laughs) frame by frame. And look, did either one mean it to get that far? Probably not. Did it? Sure. It did. Fine. Suspensions. Play on. I mean, who who cares from my point of view? It's this sort of thing used to be every day. And I'm glad that it, we're not there anymore. But Jerome Kersey would look at this and go, dudes, you can't. Yeah. Re- let's rewind my tape with Kenny Norman and let's see what's actually happening uh, yeah. as far as physicality. But look, so Stewart got up into LeBron. LeBron took exception to it and was going to bump the kid off. I mean, that's what you do. You throw the arm. I think Stewart was a little bit low. Uh, LeBron didn't realize it. So instead of hitting that elbow into his chest or his bicep, 
he hit it right in his face. And then it yeah. was on. And, you know, Stewart went uh, dodgeball, nobody makes me bleed my own blood, right? And then got really upset, and there we go. And you know what? Why not? I'm glad it was worth the extra game to have the extra tantrum, because now maybe he's got something of a reputation. Now you know, you know, don't mess with this guy. He's got a boxing background. He's got, you know, uh, like, for a guy that nobody could have picked out of a, out of any lineup, two days ago we now know who he is so more credit to you and and just haha let's play ball now yeah you know you hear these conversations about people i i hear conversations with people asking like are we ever going to go back to the days where these guys are you know fighting each other and getting pissed at each other and and throwing up hands and whatever else at each other and and uh, there's always debate about that and i just think you know after the malice at the palace I don't think we'll ever see that NBA again. I think that there will always be people to jump in and break it up because they know what happens if it gets to that point. And so I don't think we'll ever see that kind of NBA again. I think there will always be people who will jump in, who will stop it, who will end. I don't know. I mean, I guess there something could always happen, but I think the days of guys just going at it and, and it being allowed to happen to some extent are probably over. Well, Malice at the Palace is part of it. That's the charitable, the light side. Sure. The dark side is that when people were going at it, Michael Jordan was breaking the bank, making $2 million a year. Now these players are routinely making 30 and $40 million a year. Ain't none of them going to do things that are going to risk that or right. risk a career that literally changes your life forever. Also, the league is making bank off of these players playing and the ratings and the whatever else that they bring. Um, and also, obviously, sponsors and whatever. Nobody, nobody wants to see anybody injured or, God forbid, a career end uh, based on yeah. a stupid moment like that, including the right. players themselves. So there's going to be yeah. jawing, there's going to be yelling, but it's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll go at you, I'll go at you, somebody yeah. pull me back. <laughs> Yeah, it's the hold me back. It's the hold, hold me, me back. We see a lot of that. Yeah, we see a lot of that where guys are, you know, acting like they're going to go at it, but really they're, you know, being barely held back where they could easily get through. But we're going to make it look like it's tough. Um, well, I'm I mean, glad well, everybody's okay. Well, let's look too. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't say this. That's not. I don't think it's culturally appropriate. But let's just say that I think players know for a lot longer that they're aiming to be NBA stars. Now the star system has penetrated so far. I mean, back in the day uh, when the game was about the names on the front of the jerseys more than the names on the back, um, knowing a guy was coming out of high school and had a chance to be an NBA star, first of all, was a very inaccurate science. And second of all, was in the purview of like 12 people in the entire country, right? Right. LeBron James changed all that. I mean, people were watching his nationally televised high school games. Everybody tabbed him. And it's only gotten worse. Now, everybody who's halfway a basketball dork knows the top 100 players who are sophomores in high school. Okay, Uh, the the pipeline is a lot more secure uh, now. And so NBA star or NBA player is something that you've grown up being. Or, or leaning toward in a way that's very organized, that's very codified, that's very celebrated. It's just a different mentality. You're not going to get this dude coming off the dock 
who, you know, played pretty well in college and some rando GM thought, well, he's got muscles. Let's use a fifth round draft pick on him, which was what was happening back then. I mean, there were there were like 10, 12 rounds of the draft. So you right. use your fifth round draft pick on some kind of goon who happens to make the team and he's going to stay in the league by beating people up. That's what you had, right? Go out there and put put a body on Gail Goodrich or whatever, right? That doesn't exist anymore. Right. So, you know, it's it's a whole different world. Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting. It's interesting to watch the culture change. I think that's one of the things that's always interesting with sports is you is you see a progression, not only in the game, but also the culture around the game. And um, that this is a part of that. You know, we don't we don't have the the rough and tumble situations that that happened a lot more commonly in the past. Well, um, I mean, some players do. We don't want to discount what players grew up for because, by the way, uh, 1,000 people don't make the league who really want no, to for every player that does. But I'm saying in the NBA. I'm saying we don't see these rough and tumble situations happening right. in the NBA. We don't have guys... I, I'm not talking about, you know, beyond that right. or w- before that. It. I'm Got it. Just, I understand. Yeah, just specifically in the NBA... Um, the culture around the NBA has changed in such a way, like what you mentioned with the, you know, the, the money that's involved in the culture that's involved in that. You're not seeing these guys go at it at each other. Like, like we used to, it used mm-hmm. to be, there were certain teams that you could almost guarantee there was going to be some sort of scuffle at some point during the, the game. And you just don't really see that so much anymore. Well, players identify with, players too as much as teams i mean with free agency and the player empowerment that guy that you threw a right cross at may be your teammate next year yep (laughs) that's that's exactly what i was about to say is that is that i think that there's a lot more relationships amongst the players you know you see these guys go at it at the on the court but overall like it's hard to really think of a player to player rivalry that exists there there's a few but for the most part you know they may go at it on the court but when they walk off the court they get along they're fine they aren't you know bickering or, or or beefing off the court it's it's only during the play and off the court when when the buzzer sounds and the game is over they're shaking hands they're hugging they're you know having these conversations with each other so i think i think that is is an a t- and i think that's a big part of what you just said you know guys are going from team to team a lot more they're they're either they could be teammates with that person or they already have been, you know, sometimes guys are fighting each other on the court during the game with guys that they've been on teams with before and they, the game ends and they're fine, you know? So it's, I say fighting. I don't mean like fist fighting. I mean like basketball fighting, but it's definitely interesting to see, you know, that kind of progression um, and, and how things have changed. Well, and by the way, we should say also, I don't wish it were the old way. There are a lot of sports people who go, ah, it should be like it wasn't. And Okay, stop it. It's, it's better this way in most ways. I wish there were a little more identification with team and that kind of, you miss a little bit of that definition. But you know what? The, the teams themselves gave that up with trades and various analytics and schemes and stuff like that that kind of value players as commodities as well. So, hey, uh, it goes both ways. But I wish there were a little more of that, but I don't think it was better back in the old day. And I hate it when people say, ah, we were so much tougher. Well, maybe so, but the players are better nowadays. So what are you going to do? Sorry. (laughs) I bored Dia. She's starting to yawn. Come on, Dia. It's only 1030 your time. Not that I'm tired. So I was on a plane. I, I flew yesterday to Vegas for the day was it yesterday two days ago 
Sunday. What's today? Tuesday. Two days ago now. Mm-hmm. I flew for the day for what was working out there. And, and I was there just for the day. We flew in the morning. We flew back in the evening. And my ears, I have a hard time with elevation change like that. And it was, you know, both flights. And so my ears are just giving me a hard time. So when I feel like they're anyway, that's why I'm yawning. It's not because I'm tired. I'm good. Well, you know, um, yawning is lack of oxygen. It's right. What, what say it's, you do it, but like my cats and cats do this, and my cats do this to me habitually. It's like they'll see me and they'll yawn, and I think it's because they're so excited to see me. But their breath catches, and then they need to yawn and stretch, and then come over to me. So I'm just gonna pretend you're yawning because you're excited to be doing the podcast. Yes, let's let's go with let's that. go with let's that. Let's go with yes. that. We're gonna. Uh-huh. It's exciting. <laughs> Let's talk for a minute about Neil. There's a lot going on still with this. You know, I don't know where we'll be at by Thursday when this airs. But as of right now, there is an ongoing investigation into Neil Olshay and, and, you know, this toxic workplace environment. The investigation has expanded to not only employees, but also past employees, players, uh, it seems like the investigation is somewhat thorough uh, based off that. So that's where we're at. We don't have answers yet. There's a lot of stuff, you know, circulating in the media, although I do feel like it's calmed down and we're not hearing about it as much as we were initially, which is actually not something that I love. I think when something like this is happening, it's important to keep some some heat on it. Neil is still working with the employees Currently, as this investigation is going on, I don't know how that's allowed to happen. Uh, To me, if you have an open investigation into someone in a situation like this, you pull them out and they sit out and they are not like, why is that happening? I don't understand why that's happening. Uh, It seems very problematic to me. And that puts a little bit of an alarm for me that that maybe this is not being taken as seriously as as I thought that it was. I don't feel good about it. I I really, really don't. And I think that, you know, again, if this is, I want to reiterate this for people who maybe missed the podcast where we talked about this, but somebody coming forward and filing complaints to the degree that they have been filed is not just, hey, Neil cusses at people. This goes deeper than that. It goes bigger than that. And it's problematic and it needs to be taken seriously. The thing for me that, I, that I'm really frustrated about in this situation is this cycle. I'm going to say this and it's, um, it's harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. This cycle of abuse where you have someone in a situation where they're in authority Uh, This happens in abusive relationships and, and that's, you know, I speak from that experience, but it also happens in a situation like a workplace where you have someone like Neil in a position of authority who is abusing a relationship with employees, who is creating a toxic environment with employees, who is intimidating employees. Um, You have this cycle where this behavior happens and then someone finally comes forward and reports it and an investigation is open. But now you have employees or people who are in this position who are afraid to really speak up and come forward 
and identify what's happening because if somehow he makes it through this investigation and he is still in that position of authority, now that cycle becomes worse for them. Um, and I think that that's something that I've noticed in all of the articles that have come out, all the things that have been written. Very few people are allowing themselves to be named. Very few people are willing to get into very much detail because they don't want to be able to be identified by the situations. The people who are coming forward and giving details and allowing themselves to be named are people who either do not work for Neil or the NBA anymore, or people who are in positions of authority themselves. And this does not threaten their job or their credibility. So you have this cycle where you've got somebody misusing their power to create this toxic work environment. And you have these people in this environment who are being hurt by it, who are being, I struggle. I don't necessarily want to use the word abuse in this situation since we don't know details, but, but people who are being mistreated in a toxic work environment and are afraid to be open about it because of fear of repercussion. And so it's this cycle because now if you don't have people coming forward and being open about that and being willing to speak about it, that person stays in power. So it's like what you see in an abusive relationship where people are constantly saying, well, why don't you just leave? Well, why don't you just get out? Well, it's really hard to get out of an abusive relationship when the abuser has the power and they're the one that controls the finances and they're the one that controls, you know, what you can do and who you can see and who you have relationships with and things like that. In a situation like this, you have a similar situation where you've got people who's jobs and their livelihood and their essentially dream of working in the NBA sits in the hands of a person who is abusing that power. And so it's it's a very tricky situation and it's frustrating to watch from the outside because I can only imagine what that feels like for people on the inside who want this to end, who want to be able to speak up, who want to be able to come forward, but there's fear and, and intimidation. So it's frustrating from the outside to watch this and, and just to kind of see how this is happening. I mean, again, we don't have any kind of conclusion yet. So maybe that's going to, maybe it's going to be, you know, something, I don't know. I don't know. That's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yes, there will be retaliation. This is Neil's MO. He doesn't even like to be disagreed with. He doesn't like to be told anything about himself other than you know, he's right. And that has come out in several situations. And lashing out and manipulation and anger, all part of the portfolio. That's commonly known. That's basically publicly known. And we've overlooked this for however long because, well, he's a basketball executive and appears to have the ear of the owner and he appears to be in power. And, and the people who are registering this complaint face the reality of that retaliation, of either not being believed or their complaints not being serious enough, which is also hallmarks of the kind of relationship that you're talking about and those exact fears. Whether you want to call it abusive or not, it is certainly adjacent. It has all the same feelings. It has all the same processes. It has all the same mechanisms. In fact, it's not hard to read how this is going or how Neil is going to operate, it never has been. You look at actions and the words of a person who is in power and going to misuse that power, and that's more or less what Neil does. Now, as I said in the article that came out yesterday, we knew this. We've ignored it. Why? I guess because we don't, we don't make the decisions. I mean, fair enough. 
but at a certain point, this franchise was built, or its reputation, its popularity was built on a relationship with the grassroots people of the region. I mean, Blazer Mania was not a marketing slogan. It came from the bottom up and then became a marketing slogan. And that's where the franchise's roots are. And we are so far distant from, from that now, to the point where we know that we, there's a lead executive in charge of that franchise who actively works against the vulnerable and those beneath him, who's done it again and again and again in multiple venues. And we've watched this and shrugged, because I guess it's just basketball, and as long as they play well. Well, first of all, they ain't even playing that well. You don't even have a championship or anything close to it as a stupid excuse to put up with this. But even if you did, I would question whether it's right to do so. And it's certainly a violation of the spirit of the franchise and the spirit of the workplace, I would say. It's certainly not something that I think any fan should be comfortable with or appreciative of, because you know what? In the end, we're the peons. We're the marks. And there's always a little bit of that in sports, and you agree to that. You say, okay, yeah, you know, I'll be sold this dream because it's a harmless dream. You know what I mean? Yay, my team is the best, really, and we just got unfortunate circumstances, and we'll be better next season, and I believe in them, and they are the best. And we're sold to. That's what that's that's the exchange that happens. And it works because we want to believe that, and it works because it's relatively harmless in the scheme of things. Cost us nothing but some time, some energy that we want to invest in something bigger than ourselves anyway, and the cost of season tickets or league pass or wherever it is, however we enjoy the team. That's pretty low cost. When the cost gets real to real people in the organization, to real people who are vulnerable, to real people who have lost jobs, to real people who have been belittled, and by the way, to fans who now the, the boundary has been crossed from, hey, we're going to sell to them because they want to be sold to and we have this symbiotic relationship, to they're just stupid. They're just, they'll take anything that, that they don't care as long as we produce wins and or, and or at least look good and or explain it right and or drown out anyone who disagrees with us and or suppress any opinion that runs counter to the one that we want prevailing. At that point, it's not harmless anymore. And you know what? That's the Blazers' culture now. Make no mistake about this. If you're living in, well, the Blazers are pure and noble and wonderful and that Blazer mania, you are living 30 years ago or maybe 20 years ago. The last chance you had at that might have been Kevin Pritchard. There's no yeah. illusion anymore. This is Portland's culture. Portland's culture is lying, taking advantage of the vulnerable, and figuring that you don't care enough to bother. And as I said in that article, Portland really has no culture now. There is no difference between the Blazers, Kings, Timberwolves. If anything, Portland's is kind of more rancid. Portland has Damian Lillard and the logo on the floor, and that is it. And right now, this is what that logo stands for, the stuff we've just talked about. If you're okay with that, more power to you. I'm not. I don't think any of us should be because the franchise used to be more than that and this relationship used to be more with the, than that. And it's been systematically destroyed and taken advantage of. Well, and I think one of the things that I think is, is very frustrating is the fact that there's been this constant preaching of character 
of good character. You know, Neil, how many times has talked about how they draft for good character and, and, and this push for, you know, a culture of, of good people. And I truly do believe that in the team that he's built in the, in the, in the roster, we have good people with good character. You know, that has been accomplished. The problem is when you put the, when you put that out in the front, but then behind that, Neil is lying and being deceitful and not being above board and, and doing things in, in a shady way. That's not good character. And that's not going to create a culture of good character. Sitting you there swearing at the people that you yeah. brought in for well, good and, character. And, and the thing to me is, you know, one of the comments that I've seen circulating the internet from fans is, well, what? He, so he just swears a lot at people? Like, that's acceptable. But that's not acceptable. Like, if that's the baseline, if that's the baseline for what's acceptable, that's a problem. A person should be able to go to a workplace and feel safe. They should not fear that someone is going to chew them out and cuss them out and yell at them. Those things are not appropriate. That's not appropriate workplace behavior. And quite frankly, as someone who in in these media stories that have come out, you know, people are talking about Neil as well. Yeah, he's a hothead. He's this, he's that. But he, you know, he's a good church going man with a family and blah, blah, blah. Like that's insulting to, to me. I, I feel like y- you don't get to just write off your behaviors by saying, well, he goes to church and he's got a family and he blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, then do better. You don't get to excuse your behavior. You don't get to cuss at people and then say, well, I'm a good person. No, by definition, you are not. If you are treating people that way, you are not. You should be held to a, a better standard than that. When you are the leadership of a team, of a business, of a company, of a franchise, of anything, you should be held to a higher standard. You should be the standard for how people are being treated. And when you are intimidating and yelling and cussing and threatening and whatever else, you are not creating good character in this franchise. Well, and there there are two branches to take from this. The first is that everybody who participates in actual abuse perpetrators of abuse have exactly these stories. And I think part of why that creates waves is because a lot of people are hearing an echo of the exact thing that was said about the person who oppressed or abused them. Yep. Oh, Sunday school teacher. Yeah. Or, you know what? He was really nice to 90% or 95% or 99% of the people in his life, except for the people he actually had close contact with and power over. Yep. But you know what? That's abuse. It's not a balance. You don't get to stack. I did not abuse 6,999,999,999 people, but I did abuse five. But you know what? Hey, that's not bad, right? No. Yep. It is bad. Well, that's, I mean, that's, if you look at anybody, I, again, I, I know I talk about this, but this is my own experience. And so I can speak to my own experience better than I can speak to anyone else's. And from my experience, when I was in an abusive relationship, people didn't know because to everyone else, he was great. Everyone else thought he was wonderful. It was only behind closed doors when no one was around that he would lay into me. And so, you know, and, and, and it, it starts with, 
the cussing and the yelling and the screaming in the face and it escalates and it becomes more. And so again, and I'm not saying that that's what's going on here, but what I am saying is that's not a baseline. That's not an acceptable behavior. Screaming and yelling and cussing at people is not an acceptable behavior ever. It's not. That's not a situation that anybody is safe in. And especially going into a work environment, you should be able to expect better. Well, and that's not all that's happening. We know that's not all that's happening. Because, well, first of all, let's just look at the responses. Quacks like a duck, (laughs) walks like a duck, it's a duck. And you know what? If someone said about me, you know, Dave swears at staff members. I have sworn at two staff members here, or in, I shouldn't say at, in conversation with, I'm trying, over the 15 years at Blazer's Edge. uh, I have had a heart-to-heart, which involved profanity, um, which... I somewhat knew that they were comfortable. This was their language as well, so I was translating a bit. But just for emphasis, I've used profanity twice. But if someone called me on that and said, hey, Dave, you used profanity in this conversation that made me very uncomfortable. I felt like that was out of line. I would say immediately, okay, you're actually correct about that. And I apologize. End of story. And I will not do this again, and you can hold me accountable to it. They did not say that, by the way, either way. They, I don't know if they were cool with it or whatever, but that just, it just melded into the conversation. And, and, but had they said that, that would have been my response, and appropriately right. so. That's not the response that's coming from this office, nor is it the response, no. by the way, that comes to people who are manipulative and or abusive. The response from people who are manipulative or abusive looks exactly like the response that we've been seeing. Okay, so that's a little bit of the duck thing. But we also know that swearing is not the only thing. We go back to Kim Hughes, who accidentally told the truth about LaMarcus Aldridge and was not only denied that that story was re-denied and channels used in media to bolster Neil's assertions, which were clearly false at that point, and yet he stuck to them, but he fired the dude. We also know that there have been, I don't know how much we can disclose, but there has been friction throughout this man's tenure. There have been subversions of anyone and actions against anyone who dared to not even go at him, but question his basketball decisions. And we can go with some of the people we've had on this podcast who, as they have gotten, as they've become the brunt of, of, and been victims of this, have spoken out. And people always go, well, that's just a stupid media person or that's what, no, that's a person that really happened to. And we can go finally to what happened this summer when nobody was thinking that the Blazers were going to hold a press conference and reverse their hiring of Chauncey Billups, that the, the water was under the bridge at that point. They had done, Neil had done what he had done, but people had legitimate questions and just wanted to be heard just wanted to know that someone had heard them or addressed them or to hear someone say something cogent and coherent about them, about their concerns, about their questions. And not only were they summarily dismissed, they were oppressed, ridiculed. The story that was told absolutely erased them from the community, erased their voice from the microphone and from the history of this discussion. And that was intentional. And anyone who can look at a vulnerable person with legitimate concerns, even if you don't think those concerns apply, but anyone who can look at them and say, you know what, I use my power to erase you, that in itself is more than swearing. 
that in itself is a statement about priority, about process, about prerogatives, and how one views one's position and one's care and or relationship with the world, and it is not there. So it is completely unsurprising to find out that people who actually have to work with this guy have had these kind of problems. Because you know what? We've seen it happen publicly where most people who do these kind of things at least can cover it up. And he can't. And he doesn't. And no one's called him to account for it. Well, and I think it's important to note that just because this is not everyone's experience with him doesn't mean that the experiences that are being told are false. You know, he's in a position where he's dealing, he's not going to go to somebody like Damian Lillard or CJ McCollum and treat them this way. He's not going to go up the, the ladder and treat people that way. Those aren't the people that are being treated this way. You know, and so I think as, as these things come out and people try to discount them, that often comes from, well, we haven't heard anything from this person or this person said, you know, they're fine with him or whatever. But the fact of the matter is just because one person it, it hasn't experienced this doesn't mean that other people haven't. And, and, and I think that that's a, a tricky thing as well as, as these things start to come out. A person that treats people this way isn't going to necessarily treat everybody this way. But the fact that that it's happened multiple times, that there's enough people out there that are coming forward and saying, yeah, I've had this experience. And I keep going back to the fact that people are afraid to identify themselves. They're afraid to even tell a story that could identify them. You know, it, it, they don't want to give identifying facts in these conversations because they don't want retaliation that alone should tell you something if if this guy isn't doing that why are you afraid people wouldn't be afraid of retaliation but the fact that people are afraid to come forward because of possibility of retaliation if he keeps his job that should tell you everything yeah perhaps i can see there's some garden variety that's going to be uncomfortable um, so I, I have a little more empathy for the, toward that in the abstract. However, knowing what we know, that retaliation is going to be vindictive and assured. So I, I would underline, your point is correct in this case. I'm, I'm not sure I would go that far in the abstract because you know what, if I were complaining about somebody above me, I would want some, some it were, I would be more comfortable with some anonymity as well. And I think that's partially why it's granted. But I think in this case, I may not be the most connected person in this market, but I'm not ignorant. I've been here 15 years. And there's a difference between what's out there for public consumption and what actually happens. Yes. And what's actually said. And what's out there for public consumption has been curated to be pretty shiny in, in almost every way. We already know the basketball ways, and if you look through those, that's pretty thin, but also yep. in other ways. And we're only just beginning to find out some of the things that have been common knowledge. And I will tell you this. Behind the scenes, at best, the impressions that I've heard of Neil across the board, and I guarantee you some media yak will come out and say, this isn't my thing. Okay, fine. It isn't yours. I can't. Maybe I didn't talk to that person particularly. Best impressions have been mixed at best mixed and many many of them are much less that this is it's and it's not just that this guy is not beloved this guy is reviled and for good reason so if the blazers choose to retain him i don't necessarily feel comfortable not naming at least some of that 
<laughs> you know, that have no illusions <laughs> that it's like all cleaned up at that point. That infection is still there. You just kind of put a Band-Aid on it and pretend it doesn't exist. Maybe that'll work out for you. Who knows? But it's certainly not the choice that I think is the most appropriate. And I think this decision will be a referendum on Portland's management and ownership and what exactly is, is how exactly this franchise is being run right now. I mean, when you're getting things from a guy whose line is that's proprietary, you have to know that what's out there is not going to be the full story. It's just, it's frustrating to hear and see this being minimized. This is not the kind of thing that should be minimized. And I think before a person goes and does that, you need to be real careful to remember that you're not getting the entire story. The entire story isn't out there and may never be out there. Um, but to minimize something like that in the way that I'm seeing it minimized is harmful to the people who have been hurt. And I think that's always the case. I think you always err on the side of caution with things like that. As you said, you know, we're seeing things come out that if those are the worst things, it's a problem. And they're not the worst things. So it, it's it's just, it's a rough situation. And it's a sad situation. And, and I think that people should be treated with kindness and respect. And if there's a reason not to treat them with kindness and respect, then you figure that out and, and they move on from their job or, or whatever. But to me, when you're in a situation of, of work environment, I mean, for me personally, I think it goes across the board. I think you always treat people with kindness and respect, but specifically in a work environment, if this is not working, if, if, if Neil's at the point where he has to scream profanities at someone, then, then fine, deal with that situation, but don't do it that way. Deal with whatever's going on. It, it just, it doesn't make sense to me to treat people this way. Well, I mean, why are we assuming, I'm not saying you are, but why would we assume that there's a point at which Neil does this instead of this is just what Neil does? Because right. certainly the stories that have come out have lent themselves exactly to that. That, yep. you know, this is just how he operates habitually. Yeah. This is his worldview. And again, we have every reason to believe that because we've seen it in action minus the profanity, but with the vindictiveness and the subverting yeah. And the disregard for the vulnerable right in front of us, in front of a microphone. This guy is a yeah. walking, talking example of everything that's been said, except the swearing. And you know what? If the swearing was all there was, like you say, I'm not sure it would matter that much. But that's obviously not all that was. And the swearing is not a self-contained thing that's just, oh, this is a quirk. The swearing accomplishes something. And the point of what it accomplishes is the thing. And this isn't the same way abuse is not just anger. It's anger for a purpose. And that purpose yeah. is control, manipulation, and whatever. And yeah. more and more people are beginning to feel it and see it. The question is, will the decision makers? And if they don't, I feel sad for all of us. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we hope that there's resolution here that includes Neil not being with the franchise anymore. I mean, that's a that's a blatant thing to say but honestly I, that's that's where I'm at I think that's where a lot of people are at I think when you you know when you see things like this and you hear things that are that are being reported about this that's not the kind of person that I hope to have in a position of power within a franchise that I support that I 
report about that I am involved with. I, I don't want that. And, um, you know, I mean, everything that happened this summer, again, I, I consistently go back to the fact that for me personally, my biggest struggle had a lot more to do with how it was handled, uh, how the franchise went about it, how Neil specifically handled it than, than Chauncey himself. I think we've all been through a lot with this franchise over the last few months and, and the way that they have chosen to handle things and the way that things have been handled has hurt people and alienated people who have been fans of, of this team, of this franchise. And so I hope that some of that can be remedied. I hope that some of that can be put back together. Um, and I hope that there's resolution that can be moved forward and, and you know, that, that maybe there can be some, some, recovery I, I don't know what the word is i'm looking for here well but. you've hit you've hit on the issue there that it actually is already they're already trying to do it with their community cares program and all that stuff it's already there the problem is this bends it you know yeah we really care about the community well except this and we, we really want to help and 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 support the people around us except for you olshay is at this point a big walking asterisk to everything the franchise wants to do or be or the image that they want to have. And unfortunately, maybe realizing that is the only thing that might move this because you know what? There's 30-odd million dollars or whatever that says, well, no, don't fire him because you have to pay him unless you can have a smoking gun. And I, d I doubt there's going to be one because our smoking guns never... There has to be a real... The, it can't be like patterns and you know low-level stuff, even though that's actually what abuse is. It's like, you know... Well, and it has to be something that someone's willing to be public about. There may be things there, but it's not something that can be put out there or, or whatever. You know, yeah. that there, there's so much that goes into this that's not just about what they – it's just such a frustrating situation. I'm right. sorry I interrupted what you're saying. Not, not at all. But that said, there's not likely to be a smoking gun. And there are a lot of reasons financially to not dismiss him. And I think to this point, we've seen for a while the high levels of the franchise, be that Vulcan or the Allen family, really far removed from people. Really far. I mean, no matter what the physical proximity, if they sit in the front row in a game, the distance between us and them is wide. The thing that may tip the balance, maybe, might be that asterisk. It might be people realizing that even if they haven't experienced this directly, the fact that it happens impacts their work, impacts the effort that they're trying to make across the franchise. You know, Chris McGowan worked for years to build up the business side of this, to build up the community side of this, to build up everything around the culture. This kind of thing takes all that work and just puts it in a... Sandhill, that you take two steps forward and at least two back. Is that really what they're working for? Is that really what they wanted? And I'm not saying they haven't done good things. They have. This bends it because it's picking and choosing who to do good things for. And it's picking and choosing a definition of good that doesn't involve the entire community. In fact, it excludes or does active bad to certain parts of it. And then you got to ask, is this really about the scales again? Did we do five units of good over here and only three units of bad, so we're good? That's not the way it works. If you're doing bad, you're doing bad. 
I think it would be simpler in the long run to get rid of the asterisk. And I think that asterisk has been there for a long time, and it's time to acknowledge it. But, you know, I don't make decisions. So no, we'll see what happens. Nobody asks us. <laughs> nobody asks us what we think. I always like to end things on a positive note. This is heavy stuff, and I feel like in our 54 podcasts um, of existence, we've dealt with a lot of heavy. I always like to do that here on the podcast because I feel like in conversation, it's different than just a written article. Dave and I don't script this podcast. We don't have, we have a five or six bullet points that we say, okay, we're going to hit these things. And then we go, we don't script it. It's, it's, this is, you're hearing literally just our conversation, um, our opinions, our thoughts in real time as we're having these conversations. And personally, I like that. I, I think that that's something that is, especially in dealing with situations like this, we're just average people you know we're fans of the team as well we we've you know we we cover it obviously but i think we're processing and and working through things just like a lot of other fans and and people who follow this team are and so i always appreciate these conversations dave i appreciate your perspective for me it's it's always helpful um and you know i i think i think it's it's a unique space that we have to do this. And, and I'm grateful for that. I appreciate you as well. I just hope we can stop having these conversations at some point. Right. Let's, you know, let's, uh, why do we my have request, to do this? My request is no more hard conversations and all the wins, all the wins so that this can be uh, like, remember when this was all rainbows and unicorns once upon a time, I feel like there was a point that was the thing, Right. Did I dream that? No, you're rainbows and unicorns, and and those <laughs> exist. We won't let them get stomped on. We just have to move them aside for a minute and look out so, for the bog of eternal stench. Let's leave. Let's leave it on a good note tonight. At the end of the game, we had our rookie Greg Brown, who came out in the last little bit of of the game and did a a fun windmill kind of dunk thing that you don't really see. I mean, this is the kind of dunk you see done in dunk contests. You don't see that done in a game, and you especially don't see it done in a game by a rookie. Uh, that was cool. He's going to be fun to watch as he develops. You know, he's, he's getting those. It seems like every time Greg Brown gets in that game, he is jumping all over the place and dunking everything he can touch. Need to get Derek Jones Jr. back and then just run the Blazers in practice. Anthony yeah. Simons, Craig Brown the third, Derek Jones Jr. Uh, yeah. Just put them all on the team with somebody who can outlet pass. Right. I mean, right. What, what would Bill Walton do on this team? Oh my gosh. He'd Man. be like, he'd rebound, pivot, full length of the court, pass, alley oop, <laughs> like all the time. Man. Which, you know, the Blazers don't run enough still, uh, and the defense isn't good enough to run, uh, but I get it. But like tonight uh, against the Nuggets, one of the things you noticed without Jokic was that Denver's plays got very predictable, and the Blazers were able to read them. And Denver was also tentative. Blazers took full advantage. They knew that nobody could score against them one-on-one, -on -one, or seriously enough, right? So they were able to lay off and, and play the passing lanes intercept the ball, run, and that's where you saw a lot of these plays. If the Blazers had the luxury to defend like that all the time, they would be a pretty fun team. 
Uh, problem is, of course, it doesn't work unless you can anticipate that way defensively. But it was fun to see for one night. Yeah, absolutely. So we go into this next week. Kings, Warriors, Jazz, all on the road, and then back at home for the Pistons, and then we will be recording another episode. So hopefully we can have a good road trip and get to report back on, you know, lots of wins. Lots of wins over here. The Kings game is the most variable one, I suppose, and even that, Blazers really should win. So, I mean, should be 2-2. Two and two. That's what you would expect. Anything better is great. Anything worse, not so good. But, uh, yeah, you hope for 2-2. Two and two. Is Isaiah yeah. Stewart going to be suspended for that game? Because the Blazers are getting Blazers are getting nobody, no opponents. This is, it's great. Blazers' strength of schedule looks fantastic because all their tough teams are without any stars. So it's like, wow, look at us. Oh, great against above 500 teams. But, uh, th- yeah, it, it should, be, should be a fun week, uh, especially if they could play decent games in Golden State and Utah. That would really, that could be a statement that turns it around as long as they don't Work it, it, you know, Sacramento and Detroit. Beat Sacramento, Detroit. Play, play a really tough game or get a win in one of those two other places, and all of a sudden, I think people start believing again. We've got a lot to look forward to, Dave. So let's let's uh, focus on that. Yay, rainbows and unicorns! All right. Well, <laughs> for Dia Miller, I'm Dave Deckard, and we hope that your Thanksgiving is wonderful. If you're listening to this on that day, we hope you're able to spend it with friends and oh, family. Yeah and loved ones, and that the food is not too gross, and the company is good, and we hope that your Blazers week and the rest of your week is good. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. Crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent!